What is up? Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards podcast. I am Greg Finberg, and this has been a brutal week for the Wizards. A week where they didn't win a game. Um, they went 0-3. And, you know, I honestly think they should have gone at least 2-1. and They should have had two wins going into that Dallas game. Um, very winnable, winnable games, and we didn't win any of them. So this episode is going to be taken, obviously, like we've done the last two episodes, taking you through the the stretch of games that we just watched. Um, first in Brooklyn on Sunday, uh, Monday night's collapse, brutal collapse, generational collapse against the Raptors in Toronto, and then returning home to just get your shit handed to you by a good Dallas team, but a team that should not have been dominant as they were the entire game. So... I'm just going to get right into it. The game against the Nets, look, yes, the Nets the Nets are a solid team. They're a group that doesn't necessarily have a superstar. You could argue Mikael Bridges, but I don't think he's there yet. I, I'm sure I'll make the All-Star game, but I don't think he's a star yet. They don't have that guy, that go-to guy. They just have a bunch of really solid NBA players, um, and that's going to win them a lot of games. It's also, I, I don't think, a recipe to win when you get into the postseason in April, but uh, who am I to say that? This was a winnable game. And again, like we've seen from, from West Sunset Junior teams down the stretch of games these last two two to three years, they fall apart. Um, the other team adjusts late in the game and, and makes some good calls and and we just sit there and take it. You know, we we just we're flustered, we're we're not prepared, uh, and we make ill-advised decisions. We take ill-advised shots, um, and it results in us losing games that we should win. The Nets controlled this game for the majority of it, I'd say for the first two and a half quarters. And then the bench came in like it's done all season. Corey, Landry, um, Bilal, and and they they played very well. And they brought us back to, into this game, you know, along with Danny in that lineup as, as well. Uh, and and we were in it. We were up 97-92 with about 240 left in the fourth. Um, and the Nets the Nets closed it on a 10-0 run and, and beat us. They they made shots. They they took great shots down the stretch. They turned the defensive intensity up. They made good good plays all around, and we didn't. That's what good teams do versus what bad teams do. We always seemingly you know find a way to lose. A couple of individual takeaways from this game. I thought it was Bilal's best game as a pro by far. I wouldn't say yet that it's his breakout game. I, I think most consider, you know, 25 to 30 being, oh, like, all right, he's here. Like, he knows what he's doing. This was his mini breakout game, as I could call it. 20 points, career high. Seven rebounds at the time was a career high. Three assists matching a career high. Four threes matching a career high. And four steals, also a career high. He was unbelievable. And I'm so I'm happy that that he was able to close this game, although it didn't go the way we wanted to, to give him those minutes down the stretch in the fourth when it mattered. But Bilal was the reason we were in this game. He he was four of seven from three. It's not like he made four threes on 15 attempts or something. He was over 50 percent from three. He he doesn't seem flustered or rushed at all when the ball's in his hands, even when he's shooting. It looks like it's a pretty slow release, but he gets it off the majority of the time, and it looks really good in terms of his form, you know, the way he's setting his feet, uh, squaring up to the basket, the way, you know, the motion of a shot. I'm not an expert at, at you know, shot mechanics at all, but just from a, you know, eye test perspective, it looks solid to me. Um, 
especially considering Johnny Davis' shot and how how much we fucked that up. I'm happy that Bilal's shot is okay for now. But, but this was Bilal's best game as a pro. He, he gets he just gets better every game. He looks more comfortable every game. He looks to be in the flow of things offensively instead of, you know, first three games, I'm going to stand at the corner and it's hot potato. Whenever I get the ball, I'm going to throw it to my to my teammate. When he gets the ball, he's looking out to make plays, to drive and kick, to go to the basket, to shoot the three. And that's all you want from, from a guy. Like, when you come in here, you don't have to be great. But if you're gradually getting better and you're showing signs of improvement, you know, a fan base is going to love that. They're going to see you're clearly putting in the work, not only – on the court, but off the court, watching film, you know, studying defenses, figuring out what I need to do against these coverages. And it seems like Bilal has a good gauge of, of you know, how to learn, how to grow. As you saw when he was playing with Mets in, in France, he was playing for the U19 team until the end of last season, and he dominated. And they're like, all right, we have to move this guy up. And that was over like a 15-game span where he just took over. And then he started slow on the, on the team with Wemby, and then towards the end, he was getting minutes in the championship game, you know, in the playoffs. So you're going to see Bilal by the end of the season is going to probably be a top three player on this team. Just what it is. He he seems like a home run pick for, for Dawkins. I'm not going to – I don't want to sit here and jinx it or say it too early, but I can't tell you how impressed I've been with, with Bilal. Landry Shamba was awesome as well. I don't I don't think he's gotten enough credit for, for how well he's played. He was inserted a little bit in that Atlanta game a while ago, and he's really over the last four or five games, especially starting in Charlotte, He's picked it up. He's gotten a lot more minutes. He's he's a part of the nine-man rotation now, whether you like it or not. And and he's taken those minutes and he's run with them. I thought he was he was great all game. Uh you know, eight points, five rebounds isn't gonna jump off the page, but defensively he he came in and he brought it. He's not known as a great defender, but he brought it and he played well. Uh, and I thought he was a really big reason that he that we were in this game. Again, Denny was awesome throughout the entire game. 14 and nine, almost a double double. Um, brutal from three, one of eight, you know, one of his worst shooting performances. The volume is great. I like him taking that many threes, but not, not ideal. But I, I thought offensively he was all right. Defensively, he was really good though. Again, looking at the box score, you're going to be like, ah, you know, he didn't play that great. If you watch the game, you know, Danny defended well. He defended Bridges as well as he could. Bridges didn't even have a good game. Like obviously he, he scored a lot of points. Uh, That's what he's going to do when he takes that many shots. But when you're shooting 11 of 29, you clearly are doing something right. So I thought those three guys, Danny Bilal, Landry, they played pretty pretty well. Um, and again, the, way, the the bench is what brought us back into this game. I mentioned that earlier. It's been the bench for the last couple of games. It started in Charlotte when we won, and they had an awesome game. And then it trickled down into the game against Charlotte at home, where I thought they should have closed the game with the starters. We didn't do that. And uh, sorry, closed the game with the bench, and we didn't do that. The starters came in, fucked everything up, didn't play defense, and we lost. West had a a choice to do that again. He had the opportunity to go with the hot hand, and to his credit, he kept Bilal in there. I mean, Bilal was so good all game. There's no way you could take him out. But Corey and Shamit were playing well, not only offensively in terms of spacing the floor and knocking down shots. But defensively, I thought they brought the intensity, and they're not the greatest defenders in the world. But you could just tell the effort, you know, the maximum effort they were giving on their rotations, talking, you know, moving their feet, getting their hands in passing lanes. They they were the reason that we were in that game. I would have loved to see West trust those guys and not just go with the status quo where the starters have to come in to close the game because they're your starters and they get paid the most money. No, fuck that. Go with whoever is 
playing well enough to win you the game. That was Corey. That was Landry. That was Bilal. Not just Bilal. All three of them. And for him to put Jordan Poole and Tyus back in the game, a small, poor defensive backcourt, they got cooked, and they couldn't score offensively. And you lost the game. West brought the starters back, I think, with around, like, four minutes left, maybe three. It was pretty late. Um, 10-0 Nets run. They win the game. JP killed us down the stretch. Turnover after turnover after turnover. Kuz tried to play hero ball and take threes when we didn't need them with about a minute left. Forced up two horrible shots. Hor- I mean, horrible threes. Bad looks. And and wasn't even close on them. And, and the, those, those are what killed us. And like we said against Charlotte, we needed those guys to step up down the stretch. They didn't. Against the Nets, we needed them to step up down the stretch. They didn't. And that's the problem. Obviously, they're adjusting. It's not It's not like they are used to taking those shots at the end of games. For Kuz, it was LeBron and AD when he was in LA. And then it was Brad and KP when he was here. And he's made some clutch shots, but that go-to guy hasn't been him. Same thing with Poole and Golden State. It was Clay. It was Steph. Now it's him. And they're going to have to be able to step up and find a way to get a good look when everyone knows that the ball is going that way. You're going to have the shot. They're probably going to double. You still got to make the right play. It's not easy. And, and, and they're not good at it now, but they got to get good at it eventually if they want to stick around here as the star players. But again, to summarize, it was another winnable game. Felt very similar to the Charlotte game. Um, and we didn't win it. So two-game losing streak. Moves on to the following night, second night of a back-to-back in Toronto. I mean, if you listened, if you listened to my Twitter spaces, you know exactly how I felt right after this loss. If you want my raw emotion, um, and I feel like I'm a pretty even-keeled guy, pretty even-keeled fan. I like to keep it positive, but I just I couldn't contain the emotion after that loss. So if you want the you know raw unfiltered reaction, the Twitter spaces was recorded uh, still. Uh, up on my page, if you go and look, you might have to scroll a little bit to uh, Monday Night Suites. But yeah, we had a lot of people join. So if you're listening now and you were listening then, I appreciate you for for coming into the space. Had a lot of good speakers, uh, a lot of people that just wanted to get shit on, like that was on their mind, just get it off their chest and really vent. Um, and I know it was helpful for me because I just went six minutes going off about every single thing that's been wrong under this current coaching staff for the last three years. It's the same shit every fucking game. You get up 23. I was telling, um, I was saying on the spaces, I was watching it with my roommates, and they they were like, Oh, yeah, uh, we, we can we can finish this math homework. Like, you you don't need to watch the rest of the game. You're up 23 points. It's fine. I'm like, fuck no. You don't understand. We could be up 40. We could be up a hundred. And under West Ontario Jr. and this coaching staff, I would still be locked in because I know no lead is safe. It's the same shit. They just immediately collapse. Every single time they have a lead and they're they're about to you know put the other team away, they can't do it. And it's not it's not like we played bad. I I don't think apart from Poole, who I thought was was pretty bad. I thought individually, everyone played very well. Gafford was awesome in the first quarter. Uh, Kuzma thirty four points, very efficient shooting, great from three. He was awesome. Denny and Bilal were superb. I mean, knocking down threes. Denny got out in transition and ran a lot. The Wizards were playing fast. They were balling in the first half. And even into the third quarter, they were up 23. Led by 16 with six minutes left. And it's not it's not like Toronto did anything special. All they did was just, 
turn up the defensive intensity. The same thing that Charlotte did. The same thing that Brooklyn did. They got into the Wizards' faces, and when Tyus wasn't on the floor and Delon is out, you didn't have a primary ball handler, and and we got flustered. They made a little like six zero run, and then you insert Tyus back in, and yeah, you know, offensively we got a little better, but they just they just said, "All right, where the fuck is Tyus Jones? Let me throw the ball to whoever's whoever's on him. I know they're bigger, and and then it's a mismatch, and they they either take Tyus into the paint and score." get fouled, or we'd overhelp. You know, someone would be wide open for a shot. So it's not like Toronto you know, had a rocket scientist on the sideline that made a crazy call. Like They just played really tough defense and really aggressive defense, and we got flustered and we panicked. Uh, and then, honestly, I, I felt like I was – I felt like it was pretty much over. I knew they, that was going to be a really close game. Uh, probably at the end of the third, you know, they cut it to 10 going to the fourth. They they were just all over us. And I felt like we were kind of a little scared. We were trying to dribble it out. Like we were going to play defensive and just say, all right, hopefully you miss shots and not that we make shots. And that's exactly what happened. Here's a little summary of just how bad the Wizards blown lead was. They were up 23 points in the third quarter. At some point in the third, they were up 23. They were up 16 points with six minutes left in the fourth. That's after Toronto made a huge run at the end of the third. Then they scored zero field goals over the final 7.25 of the game, no points over the final six minutes, and the only point from the 7.25 mark was a Kuzma free throw. Uh, Nothing else. The Raptors closed the game on a 21-1 run, and the 23-point was officially blown. There are so many things that went wrong during this period. I don't know how long I have. Um, but if I could sit here for five hours, I could still be talking about it. Let's start with the just blatant lack of adjustments from Wes Anso Jr. The Raptors didn't do anything special, like I said. They just were more aggressive on defense. What should you do about that? Maybe call some fucking pick and rolls. Maybe isolate Pool or Kuzma up top. Spread the floor. Just send Gafford. Set the screen, and then you should have a two-on-one with how high they're playing, how much they're going over screens. But we didn't do that. We just kept running the, the simple offense that wasn't working because Toronto was playing very aggressive. Um, Closing the game with a lineup that doesn't include Daniel Gafford, who was your best defender all night, was one of the dumbest things I've seen ever. Especially when the game is tied, you've already blown your lead. It's tied at 107. 29 seconds left, their ball. They call a timeout. Daniel Gafford hasn't played since the midpoint of the third quarter. This is your best defender, your best rim protector, someone who played well all night and has played well all season against a Toronto team that struggled shooting from three all game. They made like four, they were like 427 or something. They were horrible from three. You know they're going to get into the lane. Siakam's going to get the ball and he's going to take it in. And if there's no rim resistance, he's going to get a good look or he's going to get fouled. You decide to keep him on the bench and go with a lineup of Tyus Jones and Jordan Poole, two of your worst defenders when you need to stop. I mean, I don't get me wrong. Maybe I don't know basketball at all, but when I need a defensive stop, I think you want to have your best defenders on the floor. And I don't think Tyus or Jordan is going to be, you know, upset with West for taking them out on defense. They know they're not the best defenders. They know that if they had a competent head coach, he would sit there and say, look, we're going to bench you because you don't play good defense. Corey said it in his media session. He's like, yeah, I don't give a fuck that they take me out for defense because I understand I'm not good. That's why I want to get better. And he has gotten better. 
why not put Shamit in there, who's been a great on-ball defender all game? Why not? Why not put? Why not put all your best defenders on the floor? That's my point. Uh, and exactly what I said would happen. Would happen. Siakam just hunted Jordan Poole for a switch. Got it. Drove left. Poole was just nowhere to be found. Completely lost. And it's a little mid-range floater type shot. Gets a friendly roll. And the game's over from there because you know West Onsell Jr. is not drawing anything up in the timeout. And he didn't. He decided that I want to get the ball to Kyle Kuzma. Fair. In the fucking coffin corner. In the corner. With his back to the basket, pressured by Siakam or Barnes, whoever it was, and he steps out of bounds. That is your play call? After you just blew a 23-point lead, I have to sit there and watch you call a play for your best player in the worst spot on the court. And he steps out of bounds. You don't get a fucking shot up. Then they inbound the ball, and Dennis Schroeder just messes with us, just fucking around with Wizards fans, dribbling out five, six seconds. About 1.8 left, makes both free throws. The game's over. How the fuck do you not score over six minutes? And I understand we miss some layups, we miss some like makeable shots, but still, execute something. Call a timeout and draw a play. He called two timeouts in a minute stretch. I, don't, I, I like that. I like him calling a timeout after a timeout when his message clearly wasn't relayed. But make an adjustment in that timeout. You could think, oh, well, the players didn't listen to what he was saying in the timeout. I understand that. But clearly, what you were preaching wasn't me putting down. The players weren't listening. Maybe they don't respect you. My guy Damo tweeted out, when are, at what point are the players going to just turn on West? At what point is the locker room just going to be like just so distraught over blowing all these leads, you know, wanting to point the blame at someone, fed up with all of these losses that should be wins. You know, what point are they going to turn on him? And I think I think tonight is a turning point. I think he lost a lot of respect from players in the locker room, and that starts with those abysmal no challenges. The Wizards had two chances to challenge late in this game. One came with 5.06 remaining in the fourth, and one came with around two and a half minutes left in the fourth. The one with 5.06 in the fourth was one of the one of the worst non-challenges I've seen in the two years, three years that it's been around in the league. As a coach, we see a lot of times the player is clearly wrong, and they're lobbying so hard for the coach to challenge it. And the coach is like, yeah, you're probably wrong, but they still do it. And you sit there and you go, now, why Why would you do that? Why would you waste your challenge if you know you're probably going to lose? It's because they understand the players are going out there, going to bat for them, giving maximum effort. And when, when, they, when they go to bat for you like that, you want to go to bat for them. Even if you get it wrong, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a player, but I just know, you know from playing sports genuinely – if I'm like, coach, I'm 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 confident on this. Trust me. Please trust me. And you always sit there and say, I'm going to trust this guy on the bench. I, I don't know. I would just feel some type of way about it. And that's why you see that happening a lot across the league. It's just, you know, if you're a player's coach, you want your players to play hard for you. And, and, and in turn, you want to go to bat for your players. It's why some coaches just get ejected for no reason uh, when, when someone misses a call, as we saw with Taylor Jenkins the other night when Jaron Jackson Jr., wasn't getting anything, any calls from the refs, and he got he got fined for it. Players respect when you stick up for them. And for Wes Onsell Jr. to sit there with Kuzma in his face at half court, lobbying that it went off Siakam and not him. Corey Kispert doing the same, not as egregiously, but telling him, look, it's our ball. Call a challenge. And 
He just sits there and he tells Kuz, he points at him, he goes play defense. I don't care what you're fucking saying. I don't give a fuck if you think you're right. I think it's their ball and I don't want to use my challenge. So go play defense. And then to add insult to injury, Scotty Barnes gets wide open for a layup with Kuz at half court. The lead is cut to eight. And I, I just, from five, from that moment, five minutes left, we, we just, I tweeted this out. I, I think it's over. And it was. Um, and then the other one that was completely egregious. Jordan Poole gets called for an offensive foul on Scotty Barnes, who, by the way, flopped. He flopped all night. Same with Siakam. I hated that that Toronto was getting rewarded for just playing sloppy basketball. Um, you know, flopping all over, flailing their arms. But who am I to say that? Um, it's not the reason we lost, but still. Uh, and Scotty Barnes flops from a little contact from Poole. They call offensive foul five seconds late on Poole. And Poole just said, like, what? I, I was I was clearly pushed into him. He he goes, he's waving his arms frantically. He's telling West and the coach, uh, and the coaching staff on the bench, look, it's 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 all it's not a foul on me. Challenge it, please. We still have our challenge. West looks at the bench. I guess he gets the thumbs down and he doesn't call the challenge. Looking at that replay, I and you could see Poole mouthing, like, come on, Zach, come on, Zach. I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's Zach Guthrie. I might be wrong. Zach Guthrie, that's on the replay. The guy that literally just has a delayed game and watches it on the iPad to see if they should challenge. And and Poole was just like, come on, dude. Like, you you can't be messing it up that bad. You have one job. And he's right. And if you're Weston Sunset Jr., just call the challenge. There's two minutes left in the game. When are you going to use it? Oh, I'm. I'm fucking happy. I'm sure Wes Santo Jr. boarded the plane and, and everyone was down. He's like, look, guys, look, I got to bring my fucking challenge home with us. I got to bring my challenge on the plane back to D.C. That's what that's what he took out of it. He got to he had to keep his challenge. And in the NBA this year, you don't lose your challenge if you get it right. I'm pretty sure if you the new rule is if you get the first challenge right, you get a second challenge. So challenge the first one with Kuz. If he's that added and you get it right. You still have your challenge later. And then you can use it on pool. I posted clips. If you want to go, you're listening to the audio. If you want to go to my Twitter, I posted the clips of both plays. Uh, and there's a screenshot of Siakam as well that clearly shows it's off him. No Wizards hands were even near that ball. They would have won that one. And Malachi Flint, it wasn't an egregious shove, but he clearly extended his arms and shoved pool into, into Scotty Barnes. And we would have won that challenge. Those are two vital plays in which we had the ball or should have had the ball for another possession. We didn't challenge. The Raptors got the ball, and they later scored that possession. It's the little things that add up when you have when you, when you blow with a twenty three point lead. It doesn't just happen. You have to make it happen, and we made it happen, and then some. This was one of the worst losses I've seen in Wizards history. My my time being a fan, it's right up there with the the Clippers loss last season. Um, and obviously, right so, Chase Hughes tweeted out, this is the second largest blown lead in Wizards history that resulted in a loss. Just just so bad on so many fronts. I, I, I As much as I want to put it on the players down the stretch for missing a lot of bunnies, missing some layups they should have made. As a coach, if you blow a 16-point lead in six minutes, an overall 23-point lead, you have to make some terrible decisions. Not playing Gafford down the stretch was terrible, especially after a timeout when you had a timeout as well to take him out for offense with 29 seconds left if you got to stop, even if you didn't. Uh, the two missed challenges, horrible, completely changed the game, not trusting your guys. And like I said, I think Wes is going to start to lose the locker room if he continues to just disregard any request to challenge whatsoever. Um, 
And and again, another blown lead. It's it's the second 15 plus point lead blown by the Wizards this season. This is honestly the the third game of the last three that the Wizards should have won. Under competent coaching, I think the Wizards are on a four-game winning streak entering the game against Dallas because they were playing great. And we it was a choice to take the starters out for the bench players when the bench was the reason you were playing well. It was a choice to not play Daniel Gafford. It was a choice to not challenge those calls. It was a choice to not call your timeouts when they should have been called. All of these things led to the Wizards losing these games. Games that they should have won, games they played well in, and, and they were in, in it for the most part. And I feel like under competent coaching, entering the Dallas game, this team is 500. They're 5-5. Five and five. Instead, they're 2-8. and eight. And for a while, I, I kind of brushed it off. Yes, everyone who listens to me understands what I'm trying to say is I think Wes Unsell Jr. has been a huge problem. Is his incompetence in, his, in terms of you know not being able to contain retain leads and not making adjustments after half. It's been an issue. And I didn't want to overtly come out and say it just because obviously from a personal perspective, I'm going to games. It's, you know, you don't want to be saying these things about Wes, but also, you know, have to ask him questions. It's a little awkward, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fool the guy, the people that are listening to me. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, just say everything's okay. And, and all is well in DC and our coaching's fine. Like I'm never going to, I'm never going to sugarcoat anything like that. You know that. I'm going to tell it how it is. That's how I've always been. And I can't sit here and say that the problem is not Wes Onso Jr. It is. It is Wes Onso Jr. And the the entire fan base knows it. I, I don't know if the front office is just sitting there knowing that and, and feel like, you know, well, we picked up his option. We, we really don't know what we're doing. Or maybe they're sitting there and saying, look, we feel like Wes is the best coach for right now to bridge this gap between rebuilding or I guess retooling and then trading everyone and then finally hitting the rebuild. I don't know. Maybe maybe Will Dawkins is a hundred IQ and he sat in the beginning of the season with Will, with uh, Michael Winger and said, "Look, if we really want to lose, maybe Wes Santo Jr. is the best because he has single handedly lost this team three or four games this season." So maybe they looked at this draft class and said, "Look, we want to lose. Maybe want to lose for the next two years, and then maybe we'll let him go." But he's he's the best he's the best coach to lose right now. Wes Unso Jr. is the best coach for the Wizards if they're looking to get the best odds for the number one pick. It's it's pretty simple. Um, and, and another thing I want to talk about: why is the why is the starting lineup not been altered whatsoever? Just just please start Bilal. He's he's good enough. Maybe they're going with a slow, methodical approach to build him up. They don't want to throw him in too much. But look, he's been playing well. We clearly need something to change within this backcourt because the pool ties thing has not worked. They're one of the, the worst net rating plus minus groups in all of basketball. No defense is played when they're on the court. Why not move Tyus back to the bench? Have pool play more of an on-ball roll-up point. Move Bilal into the starting lineup. You have defensive versatility in the first unit. You have pool playing point guard where I think he will excel. Um, and you move ties to the bench with the line out. That gives them another ball handler. As you saw in Toronto, they need another ball handler. It just, it, it makes sense. I feel like it's a consensus amongst Wizards fans that we should make not only a change in the starting lineup, but that Bilal should be starting and Ty should move to the bench. Is it going to happen? Fuck no. We know it's not. We're going to go with the same guys for the next 20 to 25 games until February comes and some guys get traded. But yeah, please make a change in the starting lineup.
I beg you. Uh, going on to the Mavericks game, and this just this is a pretty bland game to talk about. It was never close, even from the start. Uh, I, I genuinely, this is the one thing I'll say really good about West is he he genuinely has good game plans. We we get off to some pretty good starts, and it doesn't matter because we eventually blow those leads, no matter if it's forty points or five. But we get off to some pretty good starts. Uh, tonight his game plan was not good. Uh, he decided to make the decision to put Gafford on Derek Jones Jr., who is a guard. Maybe a small forward, but has the the build of a guard. He's like a hundred pounds. Um, and and it, it was just a Luca drive to the right. They put DJJ in the in the right corner, and and Kuz had Luca guarded pretty well. But Gaff still needs to help. Gaff stunts, um, digs at Luca, and then Derek Jones Jr. is wide open for three. Gaff can't recover, and he made two straight wide open corner threes. Um, so that was a that was just that was a bad start. The Mavs were destroying us from the from the get go, getting wide open looks. Um, and I tweeted out in my tweets to the, in my uh, keys to the game. Number one was perimeter defense. The Mavs are number one in the NBA uh, entering that game. They were around thirty nine point four percent from three, which is a really good clip. Um, and the Wizards have struggled defensively on the perimeter. As of late, they've been better, but they've still struggled defensively on the perimeter. Uh, and they seemingly didn't understand that the Mavericks are good at shooting threes because they shot 42% from three, 52% from the field overall, but 42% from three. There was zero resistance whatsoever in the paint all night, obviously, but there was no resistance on the perimeter and the Mavs made wide open three after wide open three. Uh, I mean, we made, we made Tim Hardaway Jr. look like Steph Curry. We made Seth Curry look like Steph Curry. Seth Curry had 15 points on 100% shooting from the field, and he doesn't really play that much this season. Tim Hardaway Jr. had 31 points. 31. A guy that doesn't doesn't strike me as a guy that should be scoring 30 points on you. He was open all night, though, and, and he didn't miss. Derek Lively, I think, had like 15 wide-open lobs. The fuck was that about? Just terrible coverages on Luka all night. Simple pick-and-roll. Nobody really coming up to help, and it was just a two-on-one with Luca Gafford and Lively. And what do you want Gaff to do? You know, stun at Luca. All right, then Luca throws the lob to to Lively. You know, stick with Lively. Okay, Luca's just gonna go into the to the pain score. Like there was there was nothing nothing that we did right defensively. And it's not like this is a really tough thing to stop with Luca Don. Just he scored seventeen points against the Pelicans. Seventeen. They had a boxed up the entire game. It's possible, but we didn't. We had terrible coverages all night, and, and he made us pay. He, I mean, and, and he he yawned, and if anyone saw, he yawned when he was going for the jump, the, the t- opening tip-off. Like, the Mavs knew this shit was a rollover, and that's that's just what the Wizards are right now. They're the laughing stock of the league. It's it's a free win every, on every person's calendar when they look at, oh, all right, nice. We play the Wizards. Great. It's not like, you know, when the Thunder were rebuilding under Mike Dagnall, you'd say, like, ah, the Thunder, they're they're not great record wise, but they're they're gonna they're gonna give you a good game. They're gonna play hard, they're gonna play tough, they're gonna play good basketball. That's not the case. We're gonna have some guys that might be disinterested on some nights, some guys that don't feel like playing defense, um, some guys that aren't are just not taking it seriously. And we get blitzed and we get destroyed and, and this game wasn't close from the start. Um, and even when they didn't have Kyrie, you knew that we were going to get destroyed. Um, full struggle yet again, 16 points, uh, on six of 17 from the floor, two of seven from three. He's shooting, I, I believe 30% or a little under 35, 30% from three on the season. Terrible numbers, five turnovers for pool. 
uh, I thought he made some ill-advised passes, some lackadaisical passes. There was one where he had a pick and roll with Gaff. Gaff was open on the roll. All Paul needed to do was just do a little jump pass and throw it to him. Pulled in, decided to jump. He decided to like flick it up and have Gaff go up for it. Just turned over. Um, that's a real issue. The turnovers for Pool, and he was a minus ten. So you know, clearly not contributing defensively as well. Um, and and, and Kuz. He got his points, but he was 6 of 18, 33% from the floor. Not as efficient as he's been, considering how well he played in Brooklyn and how well he played in Toronto. But, you know, when when he's having to take these, this volume of shots and nobody else is really contributing, obviously, you know, he's going to force it. He's going to have some tough shots, and tonight they just didn't fall. Um, but that's some negatives. I want to talk about some positives. Bilal, again, Unbelievable. 10 points, 8 rebounds. The 8 rebounds was a career high, and he he skies for those rebounds. It's just fun to watch him, honestly. He goes up with one hand, just palms the ball, brings it in, made some athletic plays on the defensive glass. Um, and 2 of 2 from 3. I don't think anything else has to be said. Balakulabali is a good 3-point shooter. I think I can firmly say that. Over his last 5 games, Bilal is shooting 64.5% from 3. And it's not like Oh, you know, he's 4 of 7. No, he's not 4 of 7. He's 11 of 17. He's taking a lot. Up throughout the the season so far, he is shooting six, uh, 47% from 3 on 34 attempts. That's 16 to 34. He is obviously number 1 on the Wizards, um, and I'm sure he's up there in terms of rookie rankings for 3-point uh, percentage. He seems to not be rushed when he's taking a three especially in the corner he's deadly from the corner it's nothing but net um but i i just i'm so impressed with his growth over the last couple of games and how how much he's matured and and gotten better um i posted on my twitter two days ago his progression from games uh from games one to three games games four to six and then from game seven to ten and this was this was before the the Dallas game last night. So these these progressions or um uh sorry stats, uh, what I'm saying won't take into account last night's two of two performance, um from three. But that being said, over the first three games of the season, Bilal was averaging four points, three rebounds, one assist, and shooting twenty five percent from three. The next three games, four to six, he was averaging eight points, so it double doubled his total from points, three rebounds two assists, and 33% from three. So doubled points, doubled assists, and 8% better from three. Then his next four games, game seven to 10, 11 and a half points per game, four and a half rebounds per game, two assists, 60%. 60 fucking percent from three. Again, he's adding four points every three games. He's adding rebounds, he's adding assists, and his three-point shooting is only getting better. That is the progression you want to see from your first round pick. He looks like a home run. He looks like the the selection that we we really needed to kick off this rebuild. And I'm ha- I'm happy he's the first pick of this rebuild because he needs time to grow, obviously. So giving him two to three years before truly competitive, he's gonna be really, really good, really, really good. Uh, and and I I just can't tell you how impressed I've been with Bilal. So yeah, to recap the the Mavericks game, not even close. Complete blowout from the start, not competitive again. Entering the fourth thing, we're down 19, we're down 20 at half. Poor effort all around, defensively, offensively. In terms of actual effort, didn't like what I saw at all. Apart from Bilal, Danny shot three or four from three. Thought Corey was okay, but no one else really impressed me. 
Um, also, can we talk about Johnny Davis for a second? This is going to be the last thing. How is your top 10 pick from two years ago not getting run and Anthony Gill is? And don't get me wrong, I, I'm an Anthony Gill supporter. I think he's great for this locker room, for this group of guys. But no, he should not be playing over Johnny Davis. In no world does that make sense to me. Being a top 10 pick should, should mean something. And I understand he hasn't played well over his first year and a half, but it should mean something in terms of minutes. It should mean that you you get minutes, even if Anthony Gill might be the best player you know, for this final three-minute stretch in the half. Johnny Davis should be playing more. At the end of the day, he should. In no world should I have the same minutes as Johnny Davis um, over the last three games before the Mavericks game. Um, and I honestly consider the Mavericks game the same because he wouldn't have played if we were close. He didn't play at all. He, he got three straight DMPs before the last night's game. Johnny Davis needs to play. How are, how are you getting better by watching other guys play for an entire season? In the NFL, maybe it's a fast game. It's a big difference. It's a big leap. But when you're in year two and you're you're not getting any run and your 30-year-old 15th man is getting run over your second-year top 10 pick, that is bullshit. That, that is just – that is malpractice that should not happen. Uh, and, it, and it is happening, and it's ridiculous. Uh, Johnny Davis needed to play more at the end of the day. End of story. Uh, I would assume, like, it's just, he's going to play – more when guys get traded. Wes said as a media um, that there was a log jam at at the guard position. No shit, there's a log jam. Clear the log jam. Clear some space for your top 10 pick. This season's supposed to be about development. A 30-year-old Anthony Gill won't be here for when we win a title. Johnny Davis might. I'm not saying he will. I'm saying he might. And so you should play him. That's my piece. Um, but again, to recap, Owen oh, three stretch this week, honestly should have been two and one. Definitely should have been two and one blew a, a very winnable game in Brooklyn blew an egregious 23 point lead, uh, in a collapse in Toronto. And then not even competitive after that, uh, after that loss to them, um, only faced the Mavericks on, on Wednesday. So that's going to do it for this, uh, for this episode. Very impressed with Bilal. Thought Danny played well. The bench unit has still been great, but Kuz and Poole have to be much better than the stretch. West Onsaw Jr. needs to figure it the fuck out when it comes to adjustments, especially after half, and especially when guys are when teams are coming back in the fourth quarter. He needs to figure out, what do I do when somebody's coming back? Oh, you adjust? Oh, okay, let me try that. So uh, we'll see what we have upcoming this week. I know we have the Knicks on on Friday, and that's at, that's at home. Um, and then we had a, I mean, it, it's a tough stretch as well. When you're the worst team in the league, every game's tough because every team's better than you. Um, but the Knicks, we have tomorrow, Friday night in DC, then two game, uh, break the bucks come to town on Monday and then we're at Charlotte. So it looks like if I'm predicting the wizards are two and nine right now, they will be, they will be three and eleven at best, and potentially two and twelve over the first fourteen games of this season. They should not be that bad. That's going to do it for this episode of the Wizards podcast. Again, I appreciate everyone for for tuning in um, and listening, and and I hope I hope all you guys have a a good rest of the week. And I'll be back next next week to recap the games against the Knicks, the Bucks, and the Hornets. So yeah, uh, appreciate all you guys for listening, and and go is.